You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Samuel's relationship with God was far more important than being popular with people. Good for us to learn. It's a good lesson for us to learn. The most important thing in our lives should be our relationship with God. And nothing, no one should come above that. Ever. Including your spouse. Including your children. Including your jobs. Your careers. And anything else. Nothing should have come above your relationship with God. It's easy to believe in God and put Him to the side as you live your life. However, as Pastor Dave explains today, Samuel lived his life with God at the center. He sought the Lord at every turn and desired to do what was right in God's eyes, despite what the culture around him thought. Like Samuel, may you desire God first in your life too. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 25. As he begins his message, David loses a friend, discovers an enemy, and takes a wife. Samuel 25. We've come a long way in 1 Samuel, but we must say goodbye to what they believe the writer of the book. They think that the rest of it was finished by somebody else, and 2 Samuel was finished by someone else. We're not really sure there. We'll discover that. But as we begin chapter 25 in the book of 1 Samuel, the first thing we read is that Samuel has died. Verse 1. Then Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So Samuel dies. David has to say goodbye to a personal friend. A personal friend and a mentor. Israel must say goodbye to a great man, a prophet of the Lord who at a very, very early age was dedicated to the Lord and then served the Lord faithfully all the days of his life. Remember how his mom Hannah took him to the temple. And even though there were wicked priests there, Eli and his sons, Hannah dedicated to the Lord, giving him back to the Lord because he was her gift from God. And that was her vow, remember? If you allow me to have a boy child, I will give him back to you and dedicate him to you. And he will be yours. Hannah did that very thing. And then she and her husband left. And the boy grew under the tutelage of Eli. And even though they knew Eli was wicked, and they knew his sons were wicked, they had faith in God. And their faith was in God alone to raise their boy and to give him what he needed to prosper. Samuel's death is mentioned almost verbatim, not only here in verse 1, but once again in chapter 28, verse 3. It's almost the exact same words. And what strikes me odd about this verse, when it says, all Israel mourned the death of Samuel. Why does it strike me odd? Because when we studied 1 Samuel 8, 
He seemed to be very unappreciated by the Israelites. Remember? They were angry at him because he wanted his sons to come up and basically be with him and kind of take over the ministry. But Israelites didn't want any part of it because his sons were wicked. His sons weren't following the Lord. His sons were doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And you can read about that in 1 Samuel 8. So they kind of casted off Samuel, and instead they demanded a king. They demanded a king to rule over them. But yet, at his death, they honored him. Truly, Samuel was a man dedicated to God, and God used him mightily. It was his faith and his courage that helped take the nation Israel from a disorganized group of tribes. Remember when we studied Judges? What was the key phrase in Judges? Everyone did what was right in where? Their own eyes, remember? Samuel came in and he took all them and he united them. He united them together under the Lord. But then they demanded a king and he continued to anoint them even under King Saul. Great man of faith, humble man, was buried in his home in Ramah. No pomp, no circumstance. Samuel put God before politics. Samuel's relationship with God was far more important than being popular with people. It's good for us to learn. It's a good lesson for us to learn. The most important thing in our lives should be our relationship with God. And nothing, no one should come above that. Ever. Including your spouse. Including your children. Including your jobs. Your careers. And anything else. Nothing should have come above your relationship with God. It should be premier in your life. I'm sure when Israel demanded a king from Samuel, his heart was broken. Because he knew God wanted to rule Israel. They were his children. Israel means governed of God. God wanted to be their ruler. He wanted to be all to them and all to them. He had been all to them all the way through the wilderness, providing for them constantly. So Samuel's heart was broken, but he was obedient to God, and he anointed King Saul. He was obedient to God's call. I'm also sure that Samuel was disappointed in Saul's actions. I believe that Samuel had hoped and prayed for Saul. I think Samuel wanted Saul to succeed because he knew if Saul succeeded, Israel would succeed. He knew that, and he wanted that. And that's why we should pray for our president, no matter who he is. Because that's what it says in the Bible we're supposed to do. I pray for all our leaders, what we're supposed to do. We have to agree with their politics, but we need to pray for them. It's interesting that when God took the kingdom from Saul, Samuel once again was obedient to God and anointed David little shepherd boy. He anointed David because that was God's calling. God had told him, this is the boy. This is who will be king. This is the one I have chosen. Look through the scriptures and you find Samuel's name credited with many different things. In 1 Chronicles 9, 22, it suggests that Samuel organized the Levites to service in the sanctuary. In 1 Chronicles 26, it says Samuel began collecting treasures to give to Solomon to put in the temple. 
In 2 Chronicles 35 reports that Samuel remembered the Passover and kept Israel in remembrance of God's great deliverance. Psalm 99 verse 6, Jeremiah 15.1 commemorates Samuel as a man of great intercession. Great intercession and prayer. And finally, probably the biggest badge, if you will, of honor might be that the writer of Hebrews places him in the hall of faith. Hebrews 11.33. Samuel and David had a good relationship. Samuel, I mean, David went to Samuel for help. Samuel was his mentor, his counselor. Now, I'm sure the news of Samuel's death stunned David. Maybe he felt that since Samuel was gone, he would no longer have Samuel's influence or Samuel's prayer, and therefore he was in even greater danger than he was now. It was probably too dangerous for David to attend the funeral of Samuel since Saul had spies everywhere we went. So David and his men go down to the wilderness of Paran. And I've got to say something about wildernesses here. Last week, I made a big deal about the wilderness of my own being a desolate and barren place because it had the name, it was the place of the goats. Who else would want to be there? Well, it was brought to my attention, and then when I went and looked it up also, when it was given to me, I said, okay, let me look at it. It wasn't. It was a beautiful place. <laughs> it was a great place. It was a real wonderful place. So it's like, okay, well, but it was a wilderness anyhow. But, so I stand corrected. So I didn't look at anything up on Paran, so I'm just going to go and move on. So, so they went to the wilderness of Paran. I did say something about it a little later. Samuel died in faith, knowing that the kingdom was going to be placed in good hands. Samuel knew that David was the man that God had chosen. David was the man that God was preparing and he knew that it was going to be in good hands because he believed the promises of God. Interesting to me that throughout the Bible, great men of faith die. And then there's always someone raised up right behind them. Moses, Joshua. Joshua, all the judges. Samuel, and now David is being raised up. You can, you can follow it. all these people who were raised up. God's work may begin with a man, but it never ends with one man. God continues and sustains his work as he pleases. Remember, it's God's work to do. It's God's work to do. So David and his men rose up and went down to the wilderness of Paran. It's about 100 miles south of Masada. So David lost a good friend, he lost a mentor and a counselor, and God once again places David in a position where all he could do is trust in God. David was in for more lessons, and he would be schooled this time by an extremely unlikely source in those days. He would be schooled by a woman. And as we move on from David losing a friend... David now discovers that he has another enemy, if you will. Let's read verses 2 through 13. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. 
And she was a woman of good understanding, a beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doing. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal has, was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now I've heard that you are shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. And David said to his men, Every man gird up his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. So, David sends some guys for some visions. This new enemy that he meets, his name is Nabal. He's a rich man. He has multiple flocks. In those days, when you had multiple flocks, you were considered rich, because the flocks were money. David had provided a service for Nabal when he he and his men were camped at Maon. They protected his flocks from the Philistines. And although Nabal was wealthy, he was not a generous man. In fact, he was just the opposite. We get a look at his character by his name. Nabal means fool. And by the fact that he was from the house of Caleb. Interesting. Gusick says this, quote, The fact that he was of the house of Caleb may also be a bad description of Nabal, because Caleb means dog, and to be of the house of a dog was no compliment, unquote. It's interesting in verse 3, he's described as a harsh man and evil in his doings. Every translation I looked at used a different terminology to describe this guy. For example, the NIV said he was surly and mean, (laughs) The NLT said he was crude and mean in his dealings. So you get the picture. This guy wasn't a real swell guy. One of his servants and his wife called him a scoundrel, which means son of Baal. And it's translated worthless fellow in verse 17. There's a contrast here because he had a wife named Abigail. And the contrast is her name means joy of the father. Joy of the Father. And she's a real jewel. Verse 3 describes her as a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. This puts her in some fantastic company because there is only two other ladies in the Bible who this description has been given to. Esther and Rachel. Esther and Rachel have got the Esther in Esther 2 verse 7 and Rachel in Genesis 29 verse 17. So she's in some pretty good company. Now, David knew that Nabal was shearing his sheep. He knew that it was a good time to ask them all to help him out because it was a time of harvest, and it was supposed to be a time of sharing your wealth with everybody else. 
Sheep shearing was supposed to be a time of lavish hospitality to anybody who comes in. Eh, not according to Nabal's book. David's young men go and they present David's request to Nabal. I don't think anybody was quite ready for the answer that they got. Who's David? Who is the son of Jesse? He insulted David in one, in one translation said he hurled insults at them. His words revealed his heart. He was selfish. He was arrogant. He was rebellious towards the would-be king. Nabal compared David to a runaway slave. Some servants have left their masters, have run away. He was obviously a supporter of King Saul. He was obviously a supporter. So he hurled these insults. When I read this, verse came to my mind. It's Luke 6, 45. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words reveal our heart. Did you know that? Our words reveal our heart. Do we speak coarsely? Do we tell foul jokes? Do we speak foul language? Do we make sexual innuendos? This reveals your heart. That's what the Lord is saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's what's in your heart is going to come out. If there's good treasure in your heart, it'll show. If there's evil treasure in your heart, that's also going to show. Our words say more about us than we think. And reveal that some are good and some are evil. I love the fact that the first thing the Lord did with me was clean up my trashy, foul mouth. I love that. Because I couldn't even complete a sentence without the F word. And I used it in every form. Verb, adjective. I used it in every, every form you can think of. And the crazy thing about it is, one day after I accepted the Lord, all of a sudden I realized that I hadn't been talking like that. And I also realized that I never got down on my hands and knees and said, Lord, take this sailor truck driving mouth away from me. I never asked him to. But he did. But he did. He did. Out of our mouth, our heart speaks. We have to be ever so careful with our words. Out of our mouth, our heart speaks. Look at verse 11 and listen to Nabal's mouth. Listen to it. Listen to the pronouns here. Nabal speaking. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meal that I have killed for my shears? <laughs> I should tell you something about him right away. I should give you a clue about this guy right away. My goodness. This is the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul said we should be in Philippians 2, 4 to 5. Loneliness of mind. Esteem each other better than ourselves. No selfish ambition. No conceit. Esteem each other. This is the opposite. Maybe at the most important issue here, Nabal never gives God credit for making him a wealthy man. Never gives God credit for the provision that God had given him. When the young men come back and report all that he said to David, David becomes pretty angry and immediately swears revenge on Nabal. Immediately. David's thinking is strange. Let me tell you why I think his thinking is strange. 
he could forgive Saul for wanting to kill him. He could forgive Saul for wanting to kill him, but he couldn't forgive Nadel for not feeding his guys. One was not a criminal crime. The other one was. I don't know. But it's clearly here when you read it, David's anger got the best of him. David's anger got the best of him. First of all, he never stopped to consult the Lord about what he should do. He told the guys, get your swords out, guys. Come on, let's go. He wanted to satisfy his lust for revenge. Praise God he did not succeed. It would have been very tragic for him had he succeeded. Had he succeeded. It would have been a terrible, terrible sin. He would have damaged his character. He would have damaged the fact that he was coming to the throne. But the mercy of the Lord prevented him from killing Nabal. We must be on guard at all times. Our enemy roars about like a lion seeking whom he can devour. And he wants to devour you. He wants to sift you as wheat. He wants to devour you. He wants to take you out of the picture. And he'll use any means that he can. And if we're not on our guard, we can fall for it. I've fallen for it sometimes. We can fall for it. Peter exhorts us to be clear-headed, sober, to be watchful, to be vigilant. Because Satan has not been bound up and he hasn't been restrained for a thousand years, according to Revelation 21 and 2. He's still around. At this present time, he still roars around like a lion, looks around, and guess what? At this present time, he can even access the throne room of God and accuse you. He's the accuser of the brethren. The simple secret to spiritual warfare, according to Peter, steadfast resistance. Steadfast resistance. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Steadfast resistance. As we are steadfast in our faith, we resist the devil's lies and the threats. We resist his imitation, and he flees from us. See, this resist word comes from two Greek words, stand and against. Peter says, stand against the devil. The devil can be set running by the resistance of the lowliest believer. You may think you're the lowliest believer in town, but if you stand and resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That's what it says in scriptures. Now, if you don't believe that, why does he run? Why does he run? Because you're coming in the authority of the cross. You're coming in the authority of the cross. And you're standing on the authority of what happened at the cross. And if it's one thing the slime ball knows, he was defeated at the cross. He knows he was defeated at the cross. Resist. Be more prayerful every time he's more active. Continue to pray and resist, he's going to give up. And Peter ends by saying, knowing that the same sufferings that everyone's going through are just like the ones you're going through. That should give us great hope, knowing that we're not alone. We're not standing here all by ourselves in our suffering. Not standing here all by ourselves in our temptation. So as we move on, we see the Lord graciously steps in and arranges for a woman to enter and keep David from acting rashly and very foolishly. She's Abigail. You are Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's Word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of 1 Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. 
You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. Well, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Right now, we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m., along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying, and thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on A Sure Hope.